good. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. The week came beside me, so um, I apologise. I thought he'd be in bed, but... Um, 20 minutes late, Carl. 20 uh, minutes late. Uh, no, I've got a flip 20 front. minutes late here means one second late to pitch. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the back garden or laying artificial grass, and that is a big job for the wee man. Like. <laughs>
and then Ripsy, I'll never forget this, we found him, turned around and goes, doesn't matter who he supports, he's here to play with us now. Yeah. I always remember that, but uh, I felt more sorry for Eamon, because he, Eamon's name stood out. Everyone was like, how do you pronounce your name? And it, he was trying to, Eamon was quiet, as you know, and he was like, yeah. Eat. And everyone was like, oh, all right, talk to all you. to say, he was so quiet as well, he could be curly, but look at you, you know. Dixie, his dad, his dad will tell you a story. Like, Eamon, me and Eamon, I'd consider Eamon we're close enough, obviously, because of travel. But I used to yeah. get in the car and share lip him. Eamon didn't speak to me from flipping safety to Belfast. That's 30 minutes like. <laughs> I know. He just literally was a very, very quiet man. I remember we went away on trips to Scotland and places like that. I don't think Eamon or Murray ever spoke, but oh my God, what what a player. What a player indeed, I Quality. Um, just going through that St Andrews team as well, obviously, there was there was Trev, me, Craig Kaffner, Dal Price, Ribsy. Um, Johnny, yeah, Black. There, Johnny Black as well at left back, who's now over in Australia. So there was some, you know, probably going through the years, maybe even five, six, seven years back, you obviously had the likes of Steve Davis and stuff like that. So they had a great sort of history of producing players and then getting, getting players across the water. Yeah, I think uh, you remember we used to go to the end of season two on yeah. uh, the Saturday in that club and Joe uh, White brought the ex players over. And, you, yeah. you were, and we were only 11 or 12, and, and then boys were signing contracts at Rangers, Sunderland, um, England, all over, and we were like, right, that's the level, we're, we're going to England, and I think that was our mindset from me, you, definitely me, you, Ribsy, Trev, Craig Cathcart, was like, as soon as we seen the end boys sitting there in front of the room, Joe telling everybody how good they were, we were yeah. like, that's what we want to do, N- nothing else, N- nothing else, and that Sandy's team was absolutely unbelievable, it was actually funny yeah. because... I think somebody put something on Facebook the other day about it, and um, a few boys from them going in shorts commented underneath it, and all, and they were yeah. like our big rivals. But I don't think we appreciated ourselves how good we were until obviously other boys say with a petty against us. We yeah. just for granted that you know, I mean, we're a decent team and, and things like that. But some of, some of the best times in my life were obviously those St Andrews days, and obviously the trips away and things like that were unreal. Yeah, and then obviously, sort of growing up, maybe under 12, 13, 14, obviously clubs from across the water, their scouts then start noticing players like you, you're scoring, you know, 80, 90, 100 goals a season, you're probably the best. What happened? Best, <laughs> best player, best goal scorer I've ever seen at youth team level, so you're obviously attracting a lot of interest and stuff from, from clubs. Yeah. Who did you go across to at that time, you know, the... Did your dad have any say on it in case you were getting burnt out? Because I remember that you always used to sort of, at the break of holidays, Easter holidays, you know, when normal kids and stuff and normal uh, school kids are maybe going away on like a family holiday, you know, the likes of you were going over across the water, maybe spending two weeks over in England, you know, at 13, 14. So, you know, how did you, how did you personally deal with that as a family? And, you know, what, what clubs did you go to? I think I've done I don't know what, what it was, but my mindset when I was 13 was, like, unbelievable. Like, I was just like, right, where's next? Where am I going next? What club? Things they got there. I think the first club I went to was Arsenal. I was yeah. It was actually, it was, I don't want to haunt, haunt you about this. It was the night that County Down oh, played no. Belfast. <laughs> and Over Danny Blansfloor. Danny Blansfloor, you were marking me. And I think, actually, Stevie Garstad was the Arsenal scout at the time. And yeah. I scored a hat trick, don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and you only got you moved the Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it was, but they looked at obviously playing against Chris Casement, 
you know what I mean? That's the level they want to see you against. Can you handle it? And I, I did well against you. Yeah. You obviously stand out centre half the time. So I was like, if I do well, I'm be here. And I remember Pat, your dad, looking at me coming off the pitch, thinking, if you ever do that to my son, he'd be like, Obviously, that, and then I went to Arsenal. Like, I, I said to my dad, you'd be locked up nowadays for what we did because my dad left me to Belfast. He probably did the same. Belfast City Airport. And he says, right, son, see you later. I went yeah. to the airport and I, I just jumped on a plane to Heathrow and uh, a man standing on the other side with my name on it. And yeah. I, I walk up to him as a 13-year-old and, like, get into the car and he drives me to the digs. And you kind of think to yourself, it's madness. Like, I think yeah. about my, I'd never send my kid to the airport and say, well, you go there, fly off to London by yourself and do it. But that's what we did constantly. Um, it would have been, been difficult then for, like, we're both parents now. I imagine sort of sending your 12-year-old son away to England, you know, how worried you'd be and You've no idea what the things you got to deal with as a parent too. What environment? But the, the funniest thing about my first trial was uh, Arsenal was, um, we played Tottenham on the Sunday. You know, they always played the academy matches on the Sunday. So yeah. I didn't know what to expect, but they gave me the, the night kit and all, and I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. But I looked around the change room, and I was obviously small, and all these big, big lads, and you're thinking, wow. And I remember I scored a hat-trick, actually, for Arsenal against Tottenham. And I, my auntie bought me, like, a, it was like a cross for flying. It was the uh-huh. when you're flying. And I went to kick off the match, and the referee said, you have to take that off. So I ran over, and this fella says, give it to me. And I give it to him, and things like that there. I didn't know who he was. After the match, um, he says, I'll take you back to the airport. So we were sitting in the car with this man. I was like, who's this man? Yeah, I don't know who he is. And I was talking away. And uh, Irish accent, deep, deep Irish accent. And I got him, and he goes, right. And I said to him, thank you very much. And, I, and he said, yeah, I'm Liam Brady. If you need anything else, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he gave me his business card. So I came back. Dad goes, how'd it go? And I went, yeah, scored a hat-trick, went well, really enjoyed it, things like this. This man here gave me his card, so he did call him, and I'll never forget my dad's face. Sure. Brady, Arsenal legend. I was like, don't know him, don't know him. He is a young kid, probably had never heard of him. Like, obviously, and obviously I think that was the kind of sign of Arsenal saying, look, we like you kind of thing, we'll send you, Liam Brady's taking you back to the airport, it's a, it's a good thing. But after that then, it was just... Ridiculous, as you know, it was like Mania, Leeds, Liverpool, yeah. uh, Chelsea, some of the trips, Sunderland. You, you were going over for weeks upon weeks upon upon end, and the environment over there, Chrissy, as you know, was ridiculously tough. Like, if you weren't able to stand up for yourself, you went into the change room, they would have had you up and spat you out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All good experience as well, and then eventually leading up to that, there you experienced that for, for them moving over them whenever you went over to Charlton. Did yeah. you have any other offers apart from Charlton? Or was Charlton what sort of persuaded you go to, to go to Charlton in the end? It's gonna sound mad. It's gonna sound mad now. Like, um, at a great release. I'm saying non-fee. You know, fee off the I wish. No, great release. Everything was done with Leeds. Everything was. Yeah. Really I, I love Leeds. Leeds was my was my favorite club. Even as a Man United fan, the way they looked after me was brilliant. And uh, I remember they tried to get me playing the Milk Cup that year with James Miller and Aaron Lennon, and they were like, "We're gonna play in between." James and Aaron in the middle there, number 10 role, and I thought, fantastic. Yeah. The, the administration, and they said, we can't afford to bring you over, but you can come over and we might be able to look after you. And I was like, oh, I'm charting at this stage, we're very, very keen. So I think it was a case of them, and then Liverpool as, as well. Um, Man United broke my heart, because Man United said, if you go to another club, 
That's it. If you if you want to go and travel, that's, that's it. And I remember Johnny Evans always said to me, "It's a dream of Johnny all the way through at the Manchester School of Excellence." Johnny says, "Why are you going to other clubs?" And I was like, "Because I have to go and see what other clubs are like." Yeah. That was, you know what I mean? You know yourself. And, and Johnny was like, "Well, I want to play for Man United," and that was his mindset. And that's yeah. Or pay to the big man, obviously, quality, different level. Um, but uh, I signed for Jordan, no, and, I, and I, it sounds stupid, but I thought this is probably the quickest route to the first team because back then we were kind of saying the championship clubs and league one clubs that I'm going to go to a Premier League because that was the option but um, I signed for Charlton and I was delighted I went over and obviously signed the pitch with my mum and dad and things like that but uh, looking back on it if I'm being honest and you me and you obviously went out a few nights uh, London was too big too big for me like London ridiculous it it was massive I was speaking speaking to Owen Garvin about the London lights there uh, need a few, a few stories to tell me as well. <laughs> the, the best story, and uh, I don't know if Julian and Cathy like a story, but <laughs> me and you <laughs> was the time uh, I went down to watch you play, and you're playing the championships for Ipswich, remember? And uh, I don't know who you're playing that day, but you played well. I think Jim Gilton was actually in charge, maybe. Um, and we said we'd go out for a night out after, so we uh, obviously. Went into the centre of London when the I think it was Amadeus. I think I, th- I think it was Amadeus. One of the nightclubs. Yeah. God help us! Like we were on a River Island playing us. <laughs> <laughs> this nightclub and all the Premier League players were there. We we got into VIP. I don't know how we like that. And uh, they brought over a bottle of champagne and set it down. <laughs> I was like, this is the life. And I looked at you and you were like, this is it. We've made it. We've made it. <laughs> and. Uh, you were buzzing. You were happy. I've never seen you as happy in my life. I think you just played in the championship that day and the champagne was coming and you just said to the, I'll never forget it. Uh, come over bottle that champagne and the man was like, Come. What he brought the champagne out, do you remember? And uh, like we were like drinking away, thinking this is great. And he said, That's four hundred pounds a bottle and I never forget your face going, Mate, I, I don't have it on me. And you <laughs> I was sitting there on probably 90 quid a week, big sick, on the apprentice of Jordan, paying right. for a £400 bottle of champagne. Thing and at the time, I probably just ran out the door. <laughs> left, left you with a belt. I wish I would have ran out the flipping door, but I'll never forget it. Uh, needless to say, we didn't go back early, but uh, no. that, that was probably one thing that I was lucky to have the likes of you, not too far away, that, you know what I mean, call you, and you were going through the same thing as me, and, yeah. and Ripsy. Always speak on the phone to Ribsy a lot as well, and big Trev as well. Trevor was unbelievable, and all. he always rang each other, but it was probably still difficult because there's nobody else charting really at the time. Yeah. Quite yeah. Brilliant. And then, so go, going through charting, you were there from I think 2005 then to 2007, and in between that, there you had the, the glands of the fever. How, how did that affect you? Well, the Glanzer Fever had been my second year apprentice, so it was I was everything was going well, um, and then I started noticing that when I was training, no way you were always tracking your heart rate. My heart rate was always platform. Yeah. No matter what I, I could do, I couldn't. I felt tired, and fatigued, so I went and got checked out. They sent me down to spices and he just said it was Glanzer Fever, so it, it completely rocked me. Um, I wasn't homesick. I know some boys were, but once I got sick, I think that's when I felt like. I miss my mom. I want to go home, kind of thing, and yeah. pain. And you know what football's like. Um, if you've got glands or fever, footballers look at you saying, "What's wrong with me? Come on, why not training?" You know, even the manager was putting pressure on me at the time. It, it's, it's tough. Um, it took me about six months to get over the back of it. I actually went away with Northern yeah. 
tips. I remember playing for Northern Ireland, like the nineteens, thinking I'm not good here. But it's it's one of these things. I just have to get on with it. Um, I wouldn't say as an excuse, but it, it definitely did rock me. As was rock did did you did you feel that a bit hard done by that it affected sort of your your time at Charlton at the end? Yeah, well, to be fair. I bounced back from because when I went to Charlton, I signed like a, a four-year contract there, so the two-year apprentice, two-year pro. Um, yeah. And Ian Dye came in, and Ian, he took me away with it. As soon as I came back from the sickness, I, I think I had two months, and Ian, Ian Dye came in, and I was stepping into the the professional contract, and he took me away in pre-season and things like that there. So I, I had good experiences after the Glanzer Fever, so I wouldn't say that was the downfall. For me, the what happened then after Ian Dye left was Alan Pardew came in, and yeah. I, I didn't even get a chance with Alan Pardew. Uh, it was just he was in the club one week and he had to clear so many players I was one of them players as you know that's how yeah. it is in England doesn't matter who you are no don't need him out and that, that was that was it it was just ended did, did Pardew come and explain this to himself can you remember the conversation you had with him oh I, n- I remember like it was yesterday um, we were out training and uh, next thing I was walking in and Mark Robson actually said to me the gaffer wants to see you in his office and I knew it wasn't good, like, because it wasn't as if, like, it was 1 a.m. times, you kind of think to yourself, well, I'm not flying here at the minute, so this is not good. So he brought yeah. me up. It's, look, Michael, I haven't really seen you play, um, but you're not the only one. Um, but I need to clear the decks. I want to bring yeah. in keep charting in the Premier League. And you're obviously, a, you've got a squad number and things like that, so we're going to free you up. There's a check next door. So you'll get your check next door off the, was the CEO at the time? And I was like, right. And I was very quiet probably at that stage so I didn't ask questions I just yeah. like right okay and he goes do you, do you need any help do you want anything and I was like no no no, no that's okay and I remember coming out and I was awful feeling I felt sick and there I rang my dad and all and I was embarrassed I couldn't even the thought of telling my dad was, was the worst thing and he was like yeah he was okay with it. but obviously he says that's football Michael and you just have to get on with it and uh, I got on with it after that and then it was just that Seamus Heath actually I remember you know Seamus Heath rang me up and said yeah. Rexham would, would love you to come up have a go and I and I kind of thought at the time well why not so that was me heading up to Wrexham for the next year and a half and they signed me within a, a week so that was a, that was a big bonus because as you know sometimes boys come out of clubs and they don't get a yeah it's very difficult just going back to there like you said you didn't ask any questions or stuff but I think whenever you are 18, 19, 20 and you don't really have anyone advising you and stuff you only really got your parents up to their back home you don't really ask questions do you whereas not you know now if a manager come up and said that to you, you you'd probably ask a few questions why and, you know probably the biggest threat yeah probably uh, tapping into because like at the end of the day you know yourself manager you more of a fight of, of such yeah and there's so many links for clubs and, and people that can help you out as well that i probably would ask for more help if i would have got it but i just took it to chin and kind of like was just walked out kind of thing and uh to be fair you remember him as well big walt simon walton and uh Dan yeah. looked after me after that they they uh always kept in contact and made sure i was all right and if i needed anything you know and, and stuff like that so there's, there's obviously good lads there but i think when your dream is to be a professional footballer and, and you get into that professional environment i think i noticed that, that at that stage anyway of my life i was like well these boys are ahead of me at the minute you know what i mean I, i'm a wee bit off this yeah, the, the problem with being on a chart in athletic fighting for Premiership survival, they don't care about young players or giving them a chance or things like that. They need to stay in the Premier League 
quite petty against our reserves a few times. And, and, and our, our two centre forwards, the reserves most of the time, was Jason Newell and Kevin Lisby. Uh-huh. People played in the Premier League for 10 years, but Aaron Bent, Marcus Bent, Jimmy Boyd Hasselbank came in. So these boys were down playing reserves. So obviously they knocked us boys all back further down the ladder. So yeah, you, forget, you actually forget how good of a charging team that really was. You know, right. where they are now, but if you go back sort of 10, 12 years, yeah. like you said, like they had they had an unbelievable, probably mid-table yeah. premiership team. They were kind of like the Burnley, weren't they, nowadays? Yeah. Punching well above their weight. Alan, Alan Kerbsley was at the time, had, had some team and uh, some characters. And the, the one that everyone, I always tell, and I know a few of the boys always love hearing this one, was Jimmy Boyd Hasselbank. I don't know, me and him had a funny relationship. <laughs> in, in training... No, then we small sided games like they're so competitive at that level, like frightened, like boys fall out with each other and, and they're smashing all around them. But Jimmy was always in my team, and every time I got the ball, Jimmy says, Mikey, Mikey, pass me the ball. Pass me. <laughs> and I tried, I tried to give Jimmy the ball every single time, but no one ones. You, you give it away or you hit a shot and the keeper saves it. See if he didn't pass to Jimmy Fidelsabank. Oh my god, he tore shreds of me every time. Uh, look for me, he goes, Don't look for anybody else, just give me the ball. And I used, yeah. to like, I used to kind of think in my head, all right, all right. But looking back on that, that's class because he taught me so much as well that in terms of this is the standard. And I said, yeah. you have to get to the standard kind of thing. And that's something that always, always sticks with me, like always. Yeah. So is it not long after that, then you sort of, you went to Wrexham, I think, it was for about a year. <laughs> Just over a year. Um, how did you find your time there? A little bit short, you know? Yeah. Were you, were you thinking about... Was it in your mind about coming home that, you know, had anyone been on the phone to you from back home about sort of putting it in your mind that it's, it could be a possibility of, of returning back to the Irish League? Well, I went to Wrexham when I was in January. I think it was around January. So, for that first period, we stayed in the league. We stayed in League 2. Uh-huh. On another, another contract extension. And me and I bought a house, actually. And uh, me and Ribs lived in the same house, which was good times. Some house. I won't tell any stories about that. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually, the only thing ever happened in that house was me and Ribs played FIFA every night. And and as everyone knows, Ribs, that were so competitive that me and him used to fall out with each other all the time. Yeah. And then how, many contro- how many controllers did he throw off the wall? Miles used to throw them off the wall. That's one thing I never understand. They had that redhead assassin, but you never had to always laid back. You weren't angry. He was always angry. Yeah. But when Ribs used to beat me, he annoyed, he annoyed me. He used to go upstairs, put on his band music. Last <laughs> used to play all the band songs and things like that. I don't know, think about it. Oh, but it was just it was just his banter. But now it's some good good times. But you no, know, we stayed up. We stayed up. Um, Wrexham year one, and in the second year, um, we got relegated. Um, which was tough. Obviously, it take. I was still young. I think twenty. Yeah. I've seen how much it affected the local town. Like Wrexham is a. They love their football. They're a small, small wee time, but they love their football and they're very passionate about it. But it killed people and people lost their jobs over it. And people like League Two footballers, I know we'll watch them on TV and things like that, but you know as well, people like giving abuse, but they don't get paid a serious amount of money. They, they're, they're full yeah. time in the morning and they go home, they don't work. And after their career is over, they have to go and get employment. So that was a big learning curve. That's when I started to think, hmm. Uh oh, have a cop on here, that kind of thing. This is not going to be the easy sailing Premiership lifestyle. You know what I mean? That League Two boys are down there struggling, fighting for their lives, and they yeah. knew they wouldn't get a contract or they'd lose money. So, um, 
best learning curve was definitely Wrexham in terms of realism. The fact that this is this is what it's this is what it's going to be like, and uh, I have to say I embraced it and I, and I really enjoyed it. And I still speak to a lot of boys at, at Wrexham, and one of the players came through the youth academy there, Neil Keeler. Yeah, uh, yeah, back he was a, was it Swansea was at um now. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's and and his career's just went like that there. But Ribs, yeah. like, Ribs will tell you, like we like you wouldn't have said that. You probably would have watched Neil Taylor playing, you thought he was a steady left back, but his his career just took off and it's great to see people like that going on to the obviously the massive big stage. Yeah, good stuff. And then how long was it before Big Davy was in your ring? Linfield Jew of Brian McLaughlin. Brian McLaughlin rang my phone, I think, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock. Because Linfield obviously finished training, so he always rang it once a week. Yeah. Brian, I love Brian. Like, Brian was one of these people, I don't know if he, you dealt with him, but he never spoke to you about football or you or what you're doing. He talked about everything else for about an hour. Yeah. And he was well, what's happening? He coming over what? And at, at the end, that was it. And I was like, I, I don't know you, Brian. I have to see, I have to see. So Linfield had this seed planted that as soon as I, when I was coming home, there was nowhere else it was really going to go. Um, so obviously, when I yeah, did you have any other offers at that time from from the Irish League? Actually, I went to Hamilton on trial with Andy Waterf just signed for Hamilton. They took me up on trial, so I was up there living with him for a month. Flan, I really enjoyed Hamilton. Actually, we did a really tough, tough preseason, probably the hardest preseason I've ever done. Yeah. Uh, in that team was James McCarthy, James McGar- uh, MacArthur, um, the quality team and uh, I remember staying up there but it just wasn't going to be I had, I had a feeling that they the kind of signed enough players so I did a pre-season there and then I returned home and uh, signed for Linfield and, and I came back to the Irish League flying fit and uh, I still remember going to meet Big Davey for the first time unbelievable and my dad was obviously brought up obviously seeing David Jeffries like seeing him beating the drum and all my dad didn't know what, what to expect <laughs> My dad was like, we're not saying anything. As soon as we're going here, we're going, we'll have a chat with him. We'll just talk to him. That's it, we're not saying anything. We opened the door, went to his office, and there he was. He just grabbed my dad and pulled him in, kissed him in the forehead. <laughs> I, we get an ease, I think. Like, that, was, that was my dad gone. Like, and I'll never, and, uh, I, I, I actually signed there and then, obviously. <laughs> and my dad came out and goes, well, what a man. What a man. And I was like, oh, hi, dad. Thanks for backing me up there, kind of thing. And like, playing hardball. But it was so easy. Davey sold the club. He, he spoke passionately about Linfield. He spoke passionately about what he wanted to do, what you were going to do, and, and it was amazing. And uh, yeah, that was that was me back. I suppose playing um, at Linfield, and I walked into I didn't walk into the Linfield team. I, I went into the Olympic dressing room, full of absolute legends that I didn't even realize how big a legend they were until I I seen them up close, like like Glenn Ferguson. Like I'll never forget it doing crossing and finishing, and and I just come back from. Um, like Charlton and Wrexham where all these boys are obviously professional players looked down probably in the Irish League and uh-huh. Ferguson spun, spun a ball down pinged it out to the right winger the right winger took a bad touch and he went oh never mind and he rolled it down his left foot and zinged it out to the left winger and I was just like wow ball came into the box yeah. bang. just just class act him Winky Murphy Noel Bailey Paul McAreeve oh, what a player um, Aidan O'Kane Dee Kern Michael Galt was obviously a young pup coming through. Jim Mulgrew was com- was obviously still young at that stage. Yeah. Peter was away, then obviously he came back. But wow, T- top players and, and more importantly, just great people. I don't know if you find that as well when you're, when you're turned home, you get that warmth feeling. Yeah, definitely. definitely. As you say, off the 
best of the experience boys and because there was such a it wasn't only sort of one or two experienced boys it was a really good group of like six seven eight experienced boys who probably davy left basically run the dressing room oh i mean you know and they set the standards in for everyone else and you know obviously davy was watching over that um but as you said the one coming home who probably you know young kid who they've probably never heard of or you know who's coming in and stuff and you get i said maybe in an in an interview probably about i think it was maybe two or three weeks ago the standards the standards were just you knew them straight away you didn't really have the ask or you, you just knew by the training the, the training sessions and the matches and obviously the history of the club of where you know winning was you know when it when it, you had to win and that was it basically like no billy epitomized it like i looked at him I, I was fast when i came back i was actually fast back in the end days and i thought to myself no billy was 30 at 39 in training and i thought i'll just not pass him and run i swear to god no billy just stepped off me then just let me run and so clever it was so clever like just yeah. walk. um but never said a word in the dressing room until he needed to speak so yeah. hey you doogie <laughs> you were ro- rockets mental paul mcgravy goldie i see mark mccallister is another legend obviously there as well at the time very vocal vocal people no billy yeah. didn't, didn't say a word then all of a sudden when uh something was going wrong no billy would step up and say something winky spike tino alan manis everybody listen and, and, and the sky on that as well on the pitch he was the loudest person ever on the pitch as you say off the pitch so quiet so quiet just you came know, in for the goal and just wanted to go home on the the pitch, he just he just organized everything i think and it'd be hard not to say it but galti as well but at the time every rsc player has this thing with michael galti he's he, he reaches out to everybody so galti took me under his wing very early and obviously the nights out come on do this come on do that and i think Someone like him coming through as well. His experience with Linfield was brilliant because he obviously went on and played for Northern Ireland, which was unbelievable when you think about it. Um, but he, he looked after every one of us, uh, probably yourself. Yeah. As, like, as soon as you joined the club, he made you feel like welcome as yeah. well. No, yeah. I, I'll be honest, I had some of, some of my best times, if not the best times at, at Linfield. And with yourself and then Ribsy came back, it was like the scenario again. And yeah. Unbelievable times. Like, yeah, brilliant. And then obviously you 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 made over two hundred appearances in Linfield from two thousand eight to two thousand fifteen. How how did it come about you leaving? Talk, talk it through that. Did you know? Did you want to leave? Were you sort of not playing enough football? Was it in the back of your mind that you maybe had to move on? Um, no, I, I didn't want to leave. Um, and I didn't think I was leaving. Um, a lot. To be fair, a lot of clubs came on to me in um, January because the new contract was up. Um, Warren Feeney came in and obviously it got rid of Billy Joe, Michael Galt, Mark McAllister and people like that. And I, I was, I, I wouldn't say, I was I was hurt. I was hurt. Um, I've lost good friends. i lost boys that I've been through so much with. And boys yeah. that should never, ever have been let go. And I think, uh, like, that when they did that it hurt me a wee bit so I was kind of left and, and like to sum it up Billy Joe Burns flipped me it was the stupidest decision I've ever seen he, like he, he went to Crusaders and just lit the, the flame for them and obviously they went on to be so so, so successful um, and yeah. that 
and then me and Warren Feeney obviously had our we start, I started off well and scored in Europe we got on well and Warren Feeney wanted to bring in his own people and he brought in I think Sammy Morrow and a, a few others and game time got less and less and I remember me and Jamie McGrew were sitting on the bench a lot of the games even even Jamie was dropped under Warren Feeney at the start um, and then at the end of the season I got back in and I did well and I was flying but Stephen Baxter had contacted me and obviously Tommy Bresden the late Tommy Bresden who's another legend um, and Glenn Thorne which would have been that may I would have been murdered for going to Glen Thorne at the time yeah. and he took all these people I didn't want to leave Linfield um, but there was Warren Feeney said um, yep yeah, want you to stay want you to stay but there was never a contract produced yeah. and so I was how, how was how was the relationship with Warren Feeney um, it started off well and look Warren Finney and, and, and things like that there he's, he's different to David and that, it's like anybody coming in after David Jeffries we were all loved and heard for and David looked after so much Warren came in was a wee bit different yeah um, me and him had a wee bit of a disagreement when I went and seen him he was he was quite volatile and I kind of said about not playing I wanted to play and um, things like that but no Warren came in and he was fresh he had new ideas and he was so passionate and he was trying to, he was trying to do so much Um. But obviously it was tough at that time in Linfield because we, we were struggling and then Crusaders won the league that year. Uh, we we kind of left in good terms, but I have to say I was, I was disappointed because I didn't want to leave Linfield at the time, but I had no other option because yeah. it was June now and I was told I was off the contract, but there was nothing on the table. So I think when, I, when Linfield fans say stuff, maybe some, some of them, obviously a lot of them are still very good to me, but when some of them kind of say about me going to Crusaders, I think they seem to forget to be small things that like, I didn't say, look, I'm, I'm leaving here kind of thing. It was kind of taken out of my hands by the club. Um, yeah. Club that I loved and, and had a good good relationship with and even people on the board and things like that. But it, it, it was a wee bit sorry Graves leaving at the end, I have to be honest, um, because of that situation. But that was football and that, that, that was life. And, and then I went on the Crusaders, so I can't complain too much. Yeah. About That's what I mean. You've, you've had the privilege, you know, certainly in the last... You know, five, six, seven years anyway. Of, of you know, two of the two of the teams basically going battle to battle for league titles and, and other trophies. So yeah. then, what was the three Irish cups you won with Linfield in three leagues? Three, uh, three Irish cups in three leagues, and then yeah, then they went on the Crusaders and two, the two leagues of Crusaders as well. So three leagues. How, how was your, how was your time at Crusaders? Did you enjoy it? Oh, loved it. Um, great club, great club. I was. I don't know about you, you're probably told this as well, and something always stuck with me. I think it was Gary Eggles, who I love, big man. Once you leave Linfield, it's all, that's it. Like, out there, yeah. it's that in your brain. Yeah. And I, I went panicky, a wee bit nervous. I was like, oh, oh. Billy Joe Burns, who obviously was my, my, one of my best mates as well, was there, and loved it. Um, I went across there, and I had so many battles with Crusade for years. Like, I remember me and Coatsy fighting, he kicked me into the boards, and all sorts. <laughs> Aggie Cadell stamped on me, Sean O'Neill, Sean O'Neill was even slapping me one day and I was thinking, uh-oh, Linfield player coming across here and things like that. I yeah. couldn't, to be honest, a great change room and similar traits to the Linfield of old dressing room, they were hungry, they were so hungry and so refreshing. Yeah. Them. And Gavin Mike was coming through, oh my goodness, what a player. Um, probably one of the best to play with. He was frightening and um, Paul Heatley, Declan Cadell, Jordan Owens, Colin Coates, BJ Wrightback, Craig McLean, you go through the whole team. Um, Josh Robinson, Mitch, there were so many good players and they were just so keen to do well that 
and they made you feel so welcome. And the best thing that happened to me was the, the Champions League game. We, we went away. Our first game was Levada Talon at home, the Champions League. and You scored, didn't you? Yeah. It, or the home or away game? Scored an away game. It was nil nil, I think, at home. And then we went away, and Paul Heatley scored the ball through and I hit it and scored. And obviously in the Champions League, which I think I'm the first goal in the Champions League, I scored in Europa League a couple of times in Linfield. But yeah. we went, went into the change. Like, I've never seen, like, there's about 200 fans over there. I've never seen people partying so happy. We went back in yeah. the team, actually with nearly in tears, because Crusaders had went from being bust to scoring the Champions League and qualifying for the next round. So the catch they got for that was unbelievable. And I just remember the feeling of wow. And yeah. we went out that night, Estonia drank right through, partied on. There's Spencer Josh coming in Estonia. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> some, things, some things must have gone on in Estonia. Oh, Estonia was unbelievable. Um, but that for me was something, and this is not a negative, and I've said this before about Linfield, and it's not a negative, and I hope the fans don't take it. I think, you know what I mean, when you say this, you couldn't down Linfield. Linfield was professional. You flew out, you flew back in, you know what I mean? You did yeah. your job, and then you reported for training on Tuesday. It was very not like that. Whereas Crusaders, I couldn't believe it, boys were drinking on the plane the way home and all, and celebrating still. and Yeah. We landed back and PVC were there and, and it was just a different type of club. But wow, what what a club and, and the fans mixing them all the players and all night. I was actually thinking, remember Linfield you had a bad game, you stayed away from the fans just in case because fans were obviously very different at Linfield. Like they were like, What are you doing? No, you let us down today. Yeah. So club afterwards and you all were laughing and joking, you're kinda of like, What's yeah. going on? Anything and you know, I definitely agree on that. There's a thing I was watching on Netflix, uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls team, Bulls team. And you know, even after their matches in the big games that they really, really won, they weren't just scared to party in front of the cameras or you know, Michael Jordan sitting there with a cigar out with a bottle of bud. You know, it's, it, I think that you have to enjoy the times that you win because there's so few and far between in uh, your football career and it, your, your career at the end of the day. It's as short as it is, but you know it could be cut short with an injury, or you know, and you never know whenever you might be, might be playing again. So it's important to, to definitely enjoy them good times whenever they do come along. And uh, at Crusaders, they did that. Like we we went and won the league then in my first year, um, and the party was unbelievable. They shut down the whole Seaview, brought a band in, partying all night, and like at Linfield, it was obviously. We went to Cook Rugby Club and we, we celebrated together. But as players, then we went to Cutters Wharf on the Sunday after maybe the Irish Cup made a great, unbelievable nights out. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But more Crusaders. It was more family, like fans, down and down to the club. It meant so much to them. Yeah. Whereas kind of like, yeah, well done, well done. But you better do it again next year and the year yeah. after. Or the year after, or else, you know what I mean? Because yeah. the team and you know what I mean and all this. But, um, no, the, the Crusaders' times were, were unbelievable. I think at the time, the biggest thing for me going to Crusaders was everyone was saying, why are you going to Crusaders for? Why are you going to Crusaders? You'll not play. They've got Galvin Wright on one side, Paul Hickey on the other. They've got so many, Jordan Owens, things like that. But that was my, that was always me, and you're probably something similar. I love that. I'd rather You'd rather challenge yourself and go and play. And Stephen Baxter was brilliant. Stephen Baxter, you, you might not be playing one week. Next week you're in, then you're out. You were kidding everybody. Yeah. I just, had such a good squad at the time he knew what he was doing like and he managed it all brilliantly fantastic yeah, brilliant and then following on then you've, you've now joined Dungannon with Chris Lindsay um, how have you how have you found that in terms of 
you know, with respect, obviously you've been at Linfield and, and Crusaders who are probably challenged for league titles, you know, year in, year out. How do you sort of find going to Dungannon, you know, with respect that they're not going to be challenging for league titles every year? You know, how, how do you find that sort of transition and, and you know, playing for, playing for Dungannon? It's interesting because when people ask me, I always get the feeling when people are speaking to me, they're like kind of dismissing it as if they say, oh, Dungannon and all, very good and all that kind of yeah. thing all the time. But for me, I love it. It's it's, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's, it's kind of really different. It's a different, exciting challenge. Um, Obviously, at Linfield and Crusaders, pressure on the win leagues and things like that. At Dungannon, the pressure's still there. It's it's still there. And the, yeah. and the young people in that their change room all want to do well. So, I actually enjoy it when I'm in around some of the young lads and, and they're like looking at them starting their careers and you're thinking, good player, can you help yeah. me kind of thing. And, and no, I'm, no, and you as a player as well, you, you know, through the years you've always set your own standards, yeah. you know, very, very high. I it's obviously important to do that there, especially because so many young players are still coming through because we were there at that age when we were coming through and whenever you're coming through, you know, can really help you whenever you've got an experienced player whose standards are are there. So, yeah, that, 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 Chris likes that as well for a young player to look up to and try, try and get to that, you know, get to that point as well. I think they'll wind me up because at Linfield we had the plank club and the court club and then I carried that on with the Crusaders and always wanted to do more after training, stay behind, so I'm gunning. And to be fair, all the young lads stay out with do core, plank, extra running, things like that there. They all get, get the busy one, things like that. But, yeah. Love it. I really enjoy it. Um, I love also playing. Like for example, when I played Linfield this year, I'm a dream with Linfield at at, uh, at Windsor. Put in a real solid performance. But how difficult it was to get that draw was was unbelievable. Going against top team, going against the top teams in the league now, you're kind of like going thinking, I hope we don't get chin today. But you go there with a mindset like you, you have to do well. Um, but there, believe me, there's the reason that Gannon stood out for me was the young players and the what the club is built yeah. on. There bringing them young boys through and developing them and the facilities, the setup. Now, don't get me wrong, the fan base is obviously not massive and things like that, but see how they look after you as a, as a person, as a player, first class, and I've really, really enjoyed every moment since I've been down there. Um, some great lads, and boys have moved on to other Irish league clubs since I've been down, obviously, like I said, I went down, Chris Hegarty, Paul McRoy, Jarley, Shannon Clucas were all Dungannon boys. Yeah. They're, they're, they're good, good quality Irish league players, but they've all moved on now. And left yeah. them. Clubs obviously bringing through more young players, which is which is great, and uh, it's I'm really I'm really enjoying it. They always have had a unbelievable youth system, it's sort of like a bear belt of, of just producing youth player after player after player. Who stands out for you at the minute in the current sort of Dungannon team? Who, who have you got high hopes for? Um, there, there's three or four to be honest, which is which is is, is a lot. Um, yeah. Oisin Smith, uh, I think a lot of people know about Oisin. He's, he's played in the league now steadily for a year. He's a, he's a big, solid boy, centre midfielder. Very, very good player. Very capable, can look after himself. Comes from a GA background, so he's very fit. Um, yeah, big lad as well. He's physically, he's physically massive for such a young, young kid. Doing that 5K challenge, and I think he's posting in for about 19 minutes or something as well. So yeah, that scares me. I, 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 put, I took a year off me. There's another lad, Ben Gallagher, who break one of our boys. That he reminds me a bit. He was a bit gal mighty. Break your, you always break your ankles, and he chops and turns. And yeah. he got a bad injury there, but he's an, another young player with so much potential. Uh, there's we 
Reese Campbell on the right wing, lightning. Yeah, very good. He presses that time whenever you use you drew wheels or did you beat us beat us up a winter one eight was it? Um it might have been one eight was it? Yeah, he was very, he was very, very good that, that day. Very, very quick. But very quick. And then there's another young lad coming through. He's only sixteen at the he's only sixteen. Terry Devlin. He's a he's a centre midfielder and uh he reminds me of a young Roy Keane actually. He's got he's just got wee bullies legs and loves it. And he to be fair to him, since the lockdown I've been doing like sessions and all and things like that. He's always sending you messages now. What what our sessions can I do? Yeah, that was class for six. Refreshing, minutes. isn't it? Refreshing whenever you want. It. Whenever you have a young kid that wants to learn to ask questions, and oh, you, know, you don't really see it. You don't really see it. You know, even sort of young boys coming through. Like whenever we came through, we had to be in the first thing in the morning. You had to get the water bottles ready for the first team. You had to wash them out. Then after training, you had to clean the changing rooms. You know, all that's gone now from the game. You know, so young young kids now just sort of in the generation, everything's there for them, you know, at home and probably at football as well. They just walk out and train. And yeah. been a couple of times when we've been training, you know, the manager would say, oh, I'll go and get the goals or whatever. And then we shout out all oh, the young lads. And they're sort of like, just looking around at you like that. You know, they don't, they don't really get it. Whereas we, we have to sort of grasp whenever you're a young kid just to... Just to sort of be welcomed into the squad type thing, you know? Yeah, no, always. I think it's changed massively in terms of, like, that was expected of us, young boys nowadays, like, coming through. And I've noticed in the Irish League a wee bit, there's a wee bit of a younger Irish League players coming in, the kind of thing, yeah. like, already, and you kind of look at them going, you've got a lot to learn, like, but yeah. you will, it will, the penny does drop. And some drops earlier for others, and then other players, obviously, do, it doesn't drop, and then that's, I think, why the struggle, but for me, I see football is more or less about attitude and fitness. If you get them two things right, you, yeah. you've got a chance. Like, you know what I mean? If you look after yourself and things and you do well. Yeah. So what what, what are you sort of currently doing um, with yourself at the minute in terms of, of being involved in the IFA? So at the minute, um, I'm the volunteer development officer the IFA. So that, that works around as much things as you want in terms of coach development, committee development, club development, and getting out there and developing volunteers and getting volunteers to help out with football clubs. So I was very lucky. I went and done my degrees, as you know, and I went and did a master's and things like that there, and I always wanted to work in football. So I'm very privileged to have that at the minute where I get to do coach education. And obviously, I'm, I'm managing the head coach of the Club NI Boys, the 2006s as well, which is fantastic because... Lots of young players that are going across to England, trying to get to England, and I'm talking to them and trying to say, look, this is what's coming up. This is what's going to happen. I can tell you now, it's not as simple as you think. Yeah. I really enjoy that, and I'm really passionate about working with younger players and getting getting, getting that their football football kick during working hours. You know what I mean? You can't beat yeah. that. Good stuff. One, one thing now that we, we sort of don't have in our league and in our country... Um, I think back to my time probably in England and Scotland and, and probably in Scotland where I, where I needed it most was sort of help from like a PFA. Um, I sort of had a, um, a contract paid up at Dundee and it was owed an X amount of money or whatever and I had no one sort of in the PFA that I could rely on whenever things went wrong. And I was just thinking in terms of Northern Ireland we haven't had it for so long. Is it something that you think that you know, Northern, Northern Irish football would benefit from if they had something like a PFA to help with contracts or, you know, 
just players sort of issues or you know things like that I think I, I was in the same boat as you I think a, a PFA is never spoken about by people that don't need it but see once you need it wow yeah. it they funded my like they paid for my PFA in England my A license my B license my degree um if there's a hardship fund they give me money if I need to get back on my feet they were fantastic and I, I think you'd be mad to say that any country doesn't need a PFA because it's designed to help players and it's yeah. not designed to help the players that are like scoring every week or maybe getting new contracts right left and centre it's about the players that maybe come into the game and they want to drop out and then they drop out which, and there's, a lot, which there's a lot of you know you yeah. find the players get released every year from England or Scotland or you know, even Northern Ireland, it's you know, there's a lot of players going through that type of that type of issue. It's it's tough coming back because you come back from being across the water in England and you're just you're just back home kind of thing and, and uh, you have to reintegrate with your family, your education, your friends and uh, people just don't see the, don't see those things. So for to have someone there that can support you through that process I think would be fantastic and and obviously something I'm very passionate about, having obviously studied studied at university as well, looking at player welfare, player support. But the one thing that I will say, and I obviously don't want to make it morbid, was it, it rocked me, was the Jerry Thompson situation. Yeah. Uh, um, it was kind of like, fair play, I think it was Sean O'Neill, Andy Mitchell, we all got the galleries players, and we all said, let's donate money, let's get the gallery and get money from all the boys and do something for this, because it, 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 it was tragic. And it scared me that a boy in our league was suffering. Yeah. And we didn't know, and, and we were we were we were just so focused on football, and probably going down playing as Carrick. I hope we'll win today and get out of there, kind of thing. And it was just that there to me, it just struck a chord, kind of learning and thinking, mental health support, player welfare, gambling help, addiction help. And I'm not I'm not relating this to Jerry Thompson. I'll say yeah. about in general. Um, I think Matthew Snoddy came out live on BBC and kind of said he had a, a gambling addiction. Yeah. Injury with Matthew Snoddy. I didn't know. No. He said, Things like that. That's, I a, that's a thing. That's a thing. No carbs. Like how many sort of like I play with but boys, and I'm sure you've played with boys as well that that have went through that in silence, and you're sitting next to them in changing room, and you do not have a a clue what's going on. Yeah. You know, that's 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 the worst thing about it because obviously if you knew you could you could talk to them, you could sort of try and sort things out or offer them the support that they need. But I think if you're a player, maybe sort of going through that there. And you know that there's maybe somebody in close by who you can maybe go and talk to because I don't even think clubs in general. I know we have managers and coaches and stuff, but you know I think that clubs in general should have a professional person that you can actually go and talk to about all this stuff who's prop- properly trained. Yeah, you know maybe not your coach or your manager. Yes, you can go and speak to your coach or manager, but is he properly trained in terms of psychology yeah. and stuff? But, I think you know, that Athens obviously that they have a football clubs and things like that, but. For me, the problem is always going to be the, the the male ego problem in terms of if you go to somebody for help in a football club environment, you think it's a weakness. And I don't care how many times people say it's okay to talk, it's good to talk. You still think it's a weakness. You don't want the manager to find out you're struggling because then you might not play on a Saturday. And to the normal person, that's madness. That, that's, that's stupid. But yeah. footballers, we work in week cycles. We we work in, am I playing Saturday? If I'm not playing Saturday, why am I not playing Saturday? How do I play next Saturday? Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I think for people that aren't involved in the football world, they don't really understand that. But for us, we know that's the way it works. So they think 
by speaking out or talking to people, it's seen as a weakness and it might affect your career, which is, which is completely the opposite. So I don't blame clubs and I don't blame players. I, I think it's it's just the environment that we create makes it very difficult for people to open up about sensitive subjects. Like I, I, I do think it's uh, something that needs addressing. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, hopefully sort of further on down the line because as you say, we must be probably one of the only nations that yeah or very few nations that actually have have, have representatives of like a pfa or you know somebody who, who you can actually go and go and speak to for a bit of advice yeah i think there's 55 other nations around it yeah it's crazy yeah so it's smaller leagues as well so there's there's no excuse no excuse yeah right so finishing off let me see we'll go on to a few questions that people have sent through uh-oh. Um, for yourself. <laughs> okay, so the first one is from Johnny Hughes. He's a Crusaders fan. He actually sent three, and he was a bit greedy. <laughs> um, so what? What's three bits of advice or any advice would you give to a young player just starting in the game? This is one. This is one here that probably comes up quite a lot. Yeah. Um. Because if you knew the things that obviously if me, if, if me and you knew the things that we knew now when we were 15, 16, you know, we, we probably would have had very different careers. So uh, what sort of advice could, would you pass on? For me, the, the three things I look, I always look at it as working back as in things that I wish I would have done differently when I, when I look back. Um, for me, don't get obsessed with England. That was something that was drilled in to me when I was like 11 and, and Jim and Jill would like tell me for saying this as well and, and even in the academy they're always getting boys across the water get boys across the water get boys across the water and I'm like don't be obsessed with it because what I've seen obviously is the late developers people develop differently and just take your time but focus on what you want to be yeah take your time don't be obsessed with getting England and if you don't get England it's not the end of the world Definitely not. I, I think, think our, our league as well, our league in the last sort of three or four years has proved that, that, that if you play, say, from 17, 18, 19, 20, coming to 21, if you've got maybe 200, 250 games in your locker playing against men, proper football, then you're ready to go to England and probably hit the ground running right away. The, the, the academy system in England, for me, is there, there's, a, there's a fault with it, if I'm being honest. I think it's, it's turned to... Like you go and watch the academy game in England, you, you just watch each one every day and nothing would change. We're turning them through body, isn't They change my game, they change your game as well. They kind of turn you into the player they got. But that rawness, like when I seen Gavin White, wow. You really yeah. that spark, that bit of special. So that'll be my first bit of advice. Don't get obsessed with England. Don't be thinking I have to get to England. The second bit of advice would be um ask more questions of your coaches. Yeah. I I looked at coaches as people I had to impress, not as people that were there to help me. So I should have said to the coaches, "Look, what do I need to work on more? What could, how can I, how can you help me?" I see that as a weakness. Want to speak to a coach because yeah. I thought I wasn't good enough. And I, I, can think, your, I can, I can actually see you're thinking about that there. Uh, you think it's a weakness? I, I need you're, to work. You're, you're probably putting it in the coach's head where the coach thinks that he's not good enough. He's coming to ask me how to do this or how to do that. Yeah. When in fact, but I, th- I think the coaches, the coaches in general, in my experience, can be more forthcoming in terms of like, yeah, you know, grabbing a player and saying, "Listen, come and work with me as a centre half. Come and work with me 
for him. We're going to do him every single day. I know you have to show that hunger as a hunger as a player, but not every player is the same. As you say they might have some insecurities about going to a coach. So I would like to see more of like the coach going, come with me, and I'll show you how to do this, or we can do this. You know what I mean? And, and as coaches ourselves nowadays, nothing make me happier than a young player come up to me and going, I need help with my left foot. I'd be like, wow. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. So it's, it, it helps as well because it's very difficult to pinpoint people's playing styles, how you can help them as well, and how you can help develop them. Whereas yeah. if you open up, and I'm very honest, some of the best players now that I think back always ask questions to the coach. And I used yeah. to think he's stupid, he doesn't get this drill, he's stupid. But it was good because he was obviously testing himself to, to develop better. And yeah. um, thing I always did, I was always kind of ignorant. I was like, I know what I'm doing here, I don't need to ask anybody. But I regret now not maybe tapping into some of the coaches I work with like looking back at Ian Dye all them boys like let me frame them the experience yeah and Jim and Jilton at the minute I've learned so much working with Jim and Jilton some of the stories as you know Jim tells you Jim's taught he's brilliant he's brilliant I wish I had listened to him more when I was younger than than actually thinking that he was picking on me and being personal because he wasn't but he just wanted he just wanted to help me and I, I didn't see it at the time. He wanted to help me and he, he, he wanted to improve me by demanding so much of me. Yeah. And again, young, silly, naive, for taking things personal. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And then I suppose that the last bit of advice would just be uh, keep your friends and family very close to you during that process of like football and, and, and going away and things like that. And as I say, speak to your friends like speak to as many people as you can constantly about your football and things like that if you do move away or even if you're staying at home stay in contact because 90 percent of football is the social environment of creating that memories yeah he says to me about trophies and medals i'm not being arrogant or saying like there's loads of sitting up there but i don't remember getting the medal or